Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Adam Haney. He is the VP of Engineering at Invisible Technologies and an active angel investor. Uh, and I just joined Invisible and I'm and uh, as Director of Knowledge Management. And I'm very interested in this question of knowledge management. And I knew from my immediate, my first conversation with Adam that he also is aware of this and follows it and tracks it. So welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you so much, Stuart. I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the team. And I also really, the first time that, that you and I talked, it just felt like it was going to click. And it was like, wow, somebody that's interested in, in how we communicate internally with the team uh, and how we share the knowledge that's, you know, uh, across our, our growing workforce. So uh, really, really excited to talk to you. Great. Uh, so knowledge management, what, what, what does knowledge management bring up to you? Man, I just think about like, you know, all of the things that we read and there's so much exciting, uh, you know, information that's being shared right now. And so there's everything from, you know, research that's happening, uh, industry articles and blog posts, uh, all the way into, you know, our our project management tools, how we run our our day-to-day meetings, um, you know, how, how, especially as we've transitioned from in-person work to remote work, do we go about making sure that, you know, the things that used to live on on stickies and whiteboards and in, in, in people's minds and in those social interactions can be supported by the tools that we use. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think knowledge management, uh, it, it can mean a lot of things to different people, but it, uh, for, for me, whenever I think about within Invisible, it's about how do we make sure that we get the information in front of people that they need in order to be effective in their role, as well as, you know, so that they're excited and enthusiastic. And when you get the, that um, stream of consciousness, that flash of brilliance, that you're able to really find the things that you need in order to be able to, to be productive and work well. And so you're an engineer, so you are aware of all of the crazy things that are going on in terms of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, and wh- how do you think those things are going to change our ability to manage knowledge and have that knowledge in our front of our eyes and forget everything else. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think like it, it's it's really interesting now that we've seen this explosion in large language models and, and in generative AI, we're starting to see that a lot of the applications are not going to be in the foundational models that are are doing natural language processing or, or text understanding, but instead in providing that context to the model. And so I think that, um, you know, companies that have structured their their intranets and the, their different, you know, their various internal knowledge management tools are going to be well positioned to kind of just pick up the, these LLMs and be able to then, instead of, you know, have somebody parse something or, or, or go through a, a massive index, you know, think back to, it's sort of like the transition from a, a card catalog in the library to Google. Um, and, and so like, uh, I think that that, that's kind of the phase that we're in. And, um, I, I think it's really interesting what notion is doing around, um, you know, generative AI through large language models where they're starting to say, you know, I can pull context from this document. I can pull, uh, information from the rest of your, your workspace and be able to generate content for you. Um, I also think companies like Dashworks that are doing internal search tools are really positioned in an interesting way uh, to be able to help large enterprises understand, you know, the the contents of, of, you know, all of their internal documents, Um, as well as like, it's it's a a reason that 
you know, um, taking unstructured things and making them structured is what Invisible does. Um, so I'm also really excited to work at Invisible during this time, you know, whenever so many companies are going to need that transition from, uh, you know, messy, unstructured data sets into clean knowledge bases, wikis, internal tools that then these LLMs can can take that valuable knowledge and put it in front of, of a workforce. And so does a, so for my listeners, we have structured data, we have unstructured data. I remember a few years ago, I started to do uh, interviews on unsupervised learning, uh, machine learning. Um, and so we've got all this data. Can LLMs only read and make useful from structured data or can they make it from unstructured data as well? Yeah. So I guess overall documents, I think that LLMs are able to understand words within documents. And so that would traditionally be classified as unstructured information. I guess to, to be a little bit more rigorous in, in my terminology here, what, what I'm saying is, you know, uh, whenever companies are not organized in terms of their data storage or their systems are not uh, well organized, I think that it's going to be harder for them to extract value out of their their internal um, their internal memos, their internal, you know, uh, meeting notes or decisions that they've made in the past, uh, as well as, you know, uh, LLMs that are able to then read from maybe interlinked data. And I'm, I'm thinking in this context about things like databases and Notion or Airtable or some of those more, you know, semi-structured kinds of data sets that are that that bring tabular data or bring sort of um, more, I don't know if structured is the right word, but uh, more organized uh, information about the world or, you know, uh, your, your clients, your market opportunities, you know, your projects, things like that. I, I think that Companies that have been organized up until now are, are going to be rewarded by stuff like this um, because they're going to they're already going to have the information available for machine learning models and LLMs to consume. So interesting. Like I, my personal feeling is that this is going to be one of the most interesting times to be a company. Uh, my particular question here is now is like, so you have a lot of older companies that have already managed the switch from the catalog to Google, uh, and now. It's just so interesting that that switch itself was so huge. And now only 20, 30 years later, now we've got another switch. Uh, and do you think the older companies, like who who is going to win from this? Is it going to be these older companies that have been around for a long time? Have they already managed to do a lot of this stuff? Like what, who, maybe even like specific companies, who, who are, who do, who do you think is really going to shine uh, in terms of the startups or companies that are coming up? Well, I mean, so I, I've spent a lot of my career within startups. I have a bias towards, you know, young companies, you know, the the uh, the small group of people that want to change the world. I think, you know, I, I'm always going to bet on them as uh, personally. I will say, I think, you know, with larger companies um, that are international that might have, you know, more complicated regimes around compliance or around their, their legal exposure, I think it's going to be harder for them to just kind of throw an LLM on top of all of their information and index it. I think that there's some interesting questions that are going to pop up around LLMs access to data. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to start running into some of the, the ethical concerns around LLMs. Um, you know, they, they have a, a problem known as hallucination where they kind of make up things and, and do so in a very convincing way. Uh, and so I think that that's also something that, you know, as we talk about uh, LLMs being graded in terms of their, uh, ability to perform logic in terms of their ability to, to not hallucinate and be be trustworthy. Um, I think that those things are going to come into play, especially if you talk about uh, you know regulated industries um, or or places where you know that you might have a, a complicated compliance or legal uh, regime overall. Um, I think those companies are going to have a harder time. Now it's, it's still possible 
Um, but you know, as, as a you know a hyperbolic example, you certainly wouldn't want a law firm that was using LLMs to generate contracts where it was going to hallucinate a particular part of the law uh, or, or hallucinate you know facts about a case. And so, like the those places, I think are going to be a little bit slower to adapt, and they should be. Um, and and so, yeah, um, that's uh, I, I think the people that you're you're going to see a, a rapid uh, uptake of this stuff in are, are smaller companies that. Maybe they they're more in the, the the risk is them not growing, not the risk of them damaging something they've already created. But that, that's a classic you know business problem, I think overall. Yeah, and this has already happened many times as well uh, in terms of that adoption of technology. And as you said, legal that was something that they always said about self driving cars too. Is that self driving cars the main the main thing is going to be regulatory? But then at the same time, we've also seen like actually cities actually adopt it like i think it was tucson arizona that started to adopt yeah yeah do you know anything about that um you know i'm i wasn't in self-driving so you know i'm definitely on thin ice here in terms of my knowledge but i think there are going to be you know cities and geographies i mean you think about the fact like every corporation is incorporated in delaware because they made the active decision as a, a, a geography to try to attract those kinds of companies and so i think that um you know you, you may see situations where you have governments that are more open to that kind of thing. I think actually New York City, um, and this is 10 or 15 years ago, but when they made the decision that all the city services were going to have open a uh, APIs, you know, you had this proliferation of all of these, you know, third party apps about subway information. I saw some really cool data mashup tools, even about things like, you know, uh, where, where are there, you know, green spaces within the city? And, and sort of, um, I remember a few years back, somebody had written a a custom map routing algorithm that would look for it would route your walk instead of the fastest it would be the, the prettiest walk uh and they, and they did that based upon sort of the heuristic of am i going to route you through a park and through a you know through a green space and things like that and so i, I think that you know you, you may you, you again it, i guess that kind of comes back to data availability in the same way when we're talking about like where would there be benefits for llms and generative things i mean i, I think that that would be how I could see governments just by, by making that data available as a part of a, a, a civic service. I want to go back to LLMs because you have specific knowledge in this. Do you think that LLMs will create business moats or do you think it will become a decentralized thing where I'll be able to, you know, there, there'll be some company that will basically become decentralized and then uh, I can I can take my own data and apply it to that. Or do you think that it will be kind of a larger a moat based system? Yeah, I mean, so I think um, I definitely think that the the so different different architectures within LLMs in terms of transformers and some of those foundational ideas that are in open research, I think that those are going to proliferate. And and there, we're already sort of you know uh, so much of the the machine learning timeline has been figuring out what works, and then whenever we're able to publish what works, then you know we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? And so because of that, I think that that's that's going to proliferate and is going to become more available. Um, right now, you know, it's, it's costing a lot to train foundational models. And so you have to, you know, there is a, a financial moat in terms of uh, being able to produce uh, those models. And, and, and so uh, also, in addition to that, as the number of parameters in the models gets really, really large, you know, even if, um, you know, a company like a company like OpenAI was to release their foundational model, it'd be so large that most commodity hardware couldn't run it. And so um, I think that, with um, you know, it is really interesting seeing um uh, Meta through the Facebook AI research team, they they just open sourced uh, Llama, which is one of their competitors to um, GPT, uh, and and they were able to sort of compress the number of parameters down. Basically, their findings were that 
uh, it, you could have smaller models that were trained on more information and they would perform in a competitive way rather than large models that were trained on less particular interactions. And so um, I think that if, if those findings continue to hold out, then it might open up a sort of a democratization of the ability for different companies to train some of these foundational models. And then the moat's totally gone, um, you know, as well as, you know, as companies decide that they're going to release their pre-trained models and then allow fine tuning kinds of workflows. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of proliferation of, you know, uh, extensions of, of tools like, you know, BERT and, and Llama and some of these other uh, open source models that people are able to, to use and either provide additional contextual data from their internal systems or uh, fine-tune training in order to, to train them to, to perform on specific tasks. So um, I guess I've convinced myself, like, no, I, I don't think that there's going to be that much of a mode. I think that we're, we're in the middle of technology where we've really hit on something. Um, and it's a, a new capability for, for humans and for, and for computer scientists. Um, and what do you think about one of the most interesting things is that right now it feels like LLMs are huge, but at mm -hmm. the same time, you have all the people from who were hyping crypto and all these Web3 and all this, all this stuff creating huge hype around the thing. So I think it's one of those rare cases where there is enough thing to justify, justify the hype, but at the same time, it's also not like going to become the new God basically, and it's going to solve all our problems. What do you think are some of the things that have been overhyped in terms of LLMs and what they're capable of? Yeah, I mean, so we're definitely we're early in the hype cycle right now, right? And and so, but I I, I personally I'm I'm more excited that we're hyped about something that's creating value than maybe some of the things that the crypto bros were excited about a couple of years ago. But that's that's my own bias. Um, you know, I I think um, yeah, just a reminder that you know a lot of these models, while they're going to competently produce output, um the output still is oftentimes is very often wrong. And so it's, it's, it's correct enough that they're, they're already valuable. Um, but I think, you know, for instance, whenever I've seen a lot of cases either in image recognition or in generated text where it will confidently tell you about a person who's not real or confidently answer a question incorrectly. Uh, again, I, I, I touched a little bit on the, the reasoning component in terms of being able to do Boolean logic or being able even to do simple math. And, and, and so we're, you know, starting to see the, you know, pre-process processing steps or ways that people are doing kind of sub models or, or other approaches to be able to overcome those shortcomings. But again, it, it's not solved yet. And so I, I think that, um, that that's going to be interesting. I, I also, um, I think AI ethics is going to continue to become more and more of an issue. So, I mean, if you think about that, these large language models are trained on uh, a corpus of effectively the entire internet, you know, the, these models are, are mechanized versions of humans, or I should rephrase that they're, they're they, they contain all of our biases, you know, and, and, and they contain all of, you know, all of our flaws as well. And so I think that that's also an emerging space uh, really in the last you know, five to 10 years to understand how does how does the, the bias training come into play um, or how does uh, bias in training data, I guess, to be to be more accurate um, and avoid a naming collision there with maybe an HR term. Um, how how does how do we um, how do we think about the implicit biases that might live within models because of the information that they were trained on um, and make sure, you know, we've already seen um, there, there's a a famous example of machine learning uh, being used to predict uh, recidivism in uh, in criminals, and uh, they you know looked at effectively your your criminal background, uh, and then tried to predict whether or not they thought that you would you know commit another crime. Um, 
well, if there's bias in sentencing and there's bias in the judicial system, then there's going to be bias in the prediction algorithm as well. And so I think that we need to be really careful whenever we, especially see something that's going to be generating a lot of things. If we take it at face value and we don't improve our ability to understand, is it right? Uh, is it ethical? Um, I think that, you know, th those are places that, um, you know, that, that we really need to be paying attention. Um, you know, not to detract again, I think it's exciting anytime that something is, is generated and, but you know, it's, it's, it's that move fast to break things. You have to remember sometimes things get broken. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I think that we just need to be, be mindful of that uh, as, as we rush into this, you know, new and exciting time. Yeah. One of the most interesting things about technology is the new technology enters and it happened with the train. It happened with the radio. It happened with all these different things. The new technology enters and then it teaches us something about ourselves. And it feels like as you yeah. just mentioned, all of those biases that we have, we are going to get a much better look at those biases specifically because we're now trying to train some non-human intelligence how to do it basically. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that framing of just, yeah, te uh, the, the things that we create, the things that we dedicate time to, you know, they, they're amplification tools of our, our own, of ourselves. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we have to know ourselves to, to know what we're amplifying. And so have you, I want to get into actual knowledge management and specifics about that, but I'm so curious about this subject. Uh, are you starting to use Copilot or any other sort of machine learning things in your programming or are you still doing programming yourself or are you mostly a manager at this point? Um, I, I spend a lot of my time, um, you know, supporting the engineering team more so than, than hands-on keyboard. Um, you know, I, I still, um, I, I feel like if, if I let that skill atrophy, then, you know, that would be a tragedy for me personally. So I still, uh, I'm going to a hackathon in two weeks and planning on, you know, uh, being able to do that. And then the, the times that I'm able to sort of put together proof of concepts, um, I'm really excited. So um, I, I, I still think of myself as a, as a programmer, um, you know, but I do spend a lot of my time in management. Um I have used Copilot um, in, in um, I found as well, like, so um, uh, the OpenAI LLMs are trained on Stack Overflow, which was a, you know, really common tutorial site for, for programmers. And so uh, I almost, I think that being able to ask it questions uh, about, you know, programming is really, really interesting. It saves me a lot of time in terms of reading and comprehending documentation or understanding the purposes of a particular library. And so I, I've used it more as a, a, a reference tool than an overall code generation. Um, I do think one thing I remember seeing a couple of weeks ago is that there was a study and I'm blanking on exactly what institution this came out of, but uh, they, they found that uh, LLM generated code uh, had a higher prevalence of security issues. Hmm. So basically that if, if a programmer didn't understand the code that was being generated, it, it had a higher uh, risk of, you know, either SQL injections or different sort of like common failure modes, um, and so again, kind of coming back to that, like we have to understand the things that we're using. Yeah. Um, I've also, uh, you know, found it really, really useful um, as a manager. I just do a lot of writing, um, you know, written communication. And so sometimes I, I'm, I'm prone to writer's block and I I found chat GPT is a really great way to sort of like get my ideas out. And then, you know, it's almost, uh, uh, if what's the old Hemingway quote, like uh, write drunk, edit sober. The model is drunk. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just editing the output. Of, the model's on uh, psychedelics. The models on cycle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The model's having way more fun than us during the workday, and, and we're just here, you know, trying to keep it in between the lines. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm going to start doing that anytime I write something for public or even within company kind of thing is to just go send it through GPT first. But then that brings in the security angle as well and the privacy angle. 
um, because uh, uh, the LLMs are 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 like tracking all that, right? Uh, yeah, certainly. So, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't plug anything that was proprietary information or, or um, you know, uh, human research or, or healthcare data uh, in. Hmm. So, okay, so I want to take it now to knowledge management, which might also include a little bit of, of the LLM conversation we've been having as well. So knowledge management, you mentioned intranets. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I've started companies before, but I have, I've never been in, in a larger company uh, and uh, except for uh, ones that aren't information-based, uh, technology-based. And so you have a company and there's this intranet that is basically like an internet, but purely for companies' uh, functions with uh, sensitive information, all of this different stuff. And now, so you have, and that's basically one part of the knowledge management within companies um, where like, what is the most frustrating thing for you right now when it comes to knowledge management and the uh, like where it could be? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, a lot, a lot of the frustration comes from maintenance. So, I mean, if you think about some, somebody, you know, documented a standard operating procedure or documented the, you know, the, the status of a project or the, the state of a thing as it was at the point in time that they wrote it. Uh, and then from there, you, you build up a, you know, a large library, a large index or, or corpus of, of knowledge. But then you, you start to run into these situations where some of it's very good. And then maybe other parts of it, you know, need to be, need to be trimmed or, or culled um, over time. Um, I will say, um, whenever I worked at Facebook, I, I thought it was really interesting. Their internal wiki, uh, mm -hmm. they actually had a, a bot that would go through. And if something was more, uh, here it was 12 months or 18 months, there'd be this big banner uh, that, that said, uh, there be dragons, uh, and just a warn, a warning overall that something, you know, existed and that it, it was part of that historical record, but maybe it was out of date. Um, I haven't really seen across, you know, any of the, you know, uh, SharePoint or Coda or, or Notion or any of the sort of common, uh, document tools, uh, an easy way to do that. I'd love to see that kind of, um, methodology maybe worked into some of the tools that we use, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're we're always working uh, as a team, you know, to to understand uh, what are the things that we just know. It's that curse of knowledge, right? So like, there are things that I just know and that are simple to me and might seem obvious, but then whenever you have somebody that's new that joins, um, they're totally lost. And so, you know, how how do you both uh, decide that you're going to write down things that are important um, that you're going to you know document or or otherwise. Um, instrument or, or, or put, you know, sort of uh, data discovery tools uh, around something, uh, but then not end up in a situation where you tell somebody, you know, something that's false because the answer is from two years ago. So, you know, like it's in, in, in order of, 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 you know, good to bad, best is, you know, uh, up to date descriptions, the exact thing that I need to know at the exact time that I need to know it, worse would be, you know, there's, there's not documentation, I have to go searching, but, but even worse than that is I find something and it's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so sort of like walking that continuum of, of not just that the information exists, but that it's still relevant, that it's still timely, that it's still accurate. Um, I think that that that's something that we, you know, continue to work through, uh, as well as, you know, um, with, with the engineers on my team, you know, th their job is you know, build products, not to manage documentation about those products, you know, cu customers get value out of the things that we build. And so we're also always working to figure out, you know, how is there a place within our workflow that we can make this, 
you know, painless and, and easy. Um, and, and so that way, you know, we're gathering information about what it is that you're doing. You know, we're just, we're picking up that data exhaust uh, as, as, as you go mm. by rather than, you know, sitting you down and asking you to write TPS reports uh, of, of description of, of everything that you did this week, you know? And that's what I really love about Invisible. I'm very excited about is, is just like the core product of Invisible helps people manage all of the stuff that nobody wants to do. And so everybody's yep. already got this idea in their head that that like, oh, we can just automate, delegate, and get that out of the way so we can think about these high level things, which I'm really Yeah, it's 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 about. it's definitely a benefit, you know, uh that that all of the people that that joined here are bought into that mission of of making information available. I think that, you know, you don't really have to spend a lot of time convincing people why it would be valuable. Yeah. Um like, hey, this is the thing that we do for for others. And and so, you know, I, I think that it's it's nice to have thinkers that are already bought into that idea yeah okay so i had a few questions from that okay so we've got how do you make information updated and relevant um can we actually build tools like that uh maybe even at, at invisible that like bots that monitor things like that on on notion does notion have an api notion definitely does have an api um and we've written a couple of different places where we integrate uh, both pulling and pushing data from it. Um, and so um, I, I've even, um, uh, I, I have a, a, a script that runs every night that goes through and looks for uh, unchecked checkboxes that have my name close to them um, and sends me an email. So like it definitely has a, ha has an API and, and a lot of different, you know, ways that we've been able to script it in order to try to add. I, I still think there's a lot of creative uh, things that we could do in that space, um, both with our, our research and our analytics teams in order to be able to, to meet people where they are in terms of, you know, gathering information. Um, another thing when we were talking about just cultural shift, I, I, I remember from my time at Facebook that they also, they kept metrics on how much people were writing. Um, and so like at the end of the half, whenever we went to go do performance reviews, you sort of, in addition to like, you know, wrote this many lines of code, created this many documents that were read by this many people across the wiki also just as a, as a nod to the fact that that community oriented contribution is also valuable. And so I, I think that one of the ways that you, you drive that culture is you align your systems around, um, you know, not just saying that you value it, but actually, you know, putting teeth to that value or, or otherwise recognizing it when it comes bonus time. Um, yes. Let's talk more about Facebook. What do you, what, so we got the bots that crawl, make sure that information is updated uh, within the network in, internet of Facebook. What are some other ways that Facebook really excelled in terms of knowledge management that you haven't seen anywhere else? Um, that's a great question. Um, overall, I mean, I think that they they made really great investments in search tools. I, I mentioned Dashworks, which is a startup uh, that that we use internally here at Invisible and also just that I, I think is a really great company. Um, they're former Facebook engineers that are rebuilding Facebook's internal search tools for the rest of uh, the, the rest of the world. And so I'm a big, big proponent of what they're doing. And I think that um, they're, they're doing, they're, they're producing products at a high quality and also just solving a real need. Um, so that's something that I'm glad sort of escaped uh, from Facebook and is, is now a product that people can buy. Um, yeah. Other, other tools. I mean, I think they, they, they were very good at, um, at code documentation as well in terms of being able to find specific parts of the code base. And so I, I think, um, you know, I, 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 there aren't specific tools that I can call out so much as just a philosophy about the fact that, 
doing the work is also valuable. I think that they um, they were good at recognizing that um, creating leverage and creating throughput for their team was something that was going to you know pay pay dividends for them. And so working on an internal team wasn't a uh, wasn't a negative. You know, um, and 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 so I, I think that 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 just culturally they had made investments, in it. and I see echoes of that within Invisible. Just the awareness that you know, creating tools that um, you know help extend the human mind, you know, are are valuable internally and externally. It's 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 not just like you know, shove stuff under the rug for myself, but then you know, create create something for for my customer. It's also awareness that the way that we operate in order to do so at a high level, you know, requires investment as well. Interesting. Okay. So are there any barriers right now at Invisible to implementing great search? And if so, what, how do we solve that? Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're using a third party for search. I think that right now, um, you know, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't think so. I mean, and I, I think that we're, um, we're also working to to not just index our SaaS tools, but also push things from our internal products uh, into search. I mean, I think that overall, you know, have, having a single search is, is really, really uh, a valuable thing. Um, but I, I don't think that there's anything right now that's holding us back too much. Um, I'd love to get, you know, honestly, I say that, you know, I, I, we were talking about the curse of knowledge earlier. Um, you know, it's, it's what your, your second or third week, you know, what, how has it oh, been for you as you've, as you've been looking for things that you need to find? Yes. Uh, okay. Interesting. One of the issues that I'm finding with Notion um, uh, is that uh, the each I can't remember whether it's workspace or team space, uh, and we've got the workspaces aren't indexable. Each one you have to like actually exit the workspace in order to go index into the other Notion mm -hmm. Notion spheres. Dashworks does Dashwork works work around that? Uh, yeah. I mean, so overall, I think Dashworks is is, is grabbing everything that's a part of our our Notion Enterprise account. Okay. And so that's just search. I mean, search was personally one of my favorite ways to do knowledge management. Uh, but then now we've got, let's talk about the explicit and the implicit um, knowledge. Uh, explicit is that 20% of knowledge that we can get out on paper. Um, seems like Invisible does a very, very good job of, of, of doing that. Um, and I'm interested to uh, improve that process, but then also the single source of, source of truth. And I think this is probably every company has this problem, which is that it's all in Google Docs. It's all in Notion. It's all spread across all of these things. And so I'm really excited about basically creating one uh, process that can update all of those and have a tool agnostic system for basically organizing the information knowledge at Invisible. Then there's the implicit knowledge. And that implicit knowledge, uh, which is the knowledge that, as you said, the curse of knowledge, that's the knowledge that is going to be the most interesting to try and the, the biggest problem to sort of crack at Invisible. Um, and the major barrier is remote work. Uh, the fact that yeah. people aren't in the offices together. And I know Invisible has thought about this a lot, and I want to understand more about the ways that they specifically do that. Um, but I think that's going to be the biggest challenge, basically. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I mean, obviously... Um... You know, early in my career, I was working in an office a lot more and then had transitioned to remote. And I still find myself uh, at times like, oh, I wish I could, you know, uh, there, there are, you know, it's that it's cliche to talk about, oh, we bumped into each other at the water cooler. But still, there, there were definitely, you know, times where it was easier to have serendipitous communication with somebody rather than having to, to do it in a structured way. And so now I, I feel like trying to back into how do, how do we create structure for serendipity? How do, how do we sort of make it easy for people to sort of 
see things that are going on while also balancing against, you know, nobody wants to be watched. So we're trying to figure out, you know, there's all of these different, you know, social constructs that are going into remote where, you know, you, you want to default to open, you want to, you know, default to, to something being visible, but you also want people to be able to have a, a level of psychological safety in the things that they're doing where you're not, you don't feel like you're, you're being surveilled. Yes. Um, so um, th there are a couple of tools that we've been, you know, leaning into lately um, that I think have helped. Um, we've been using a tool a lot lately called Status Hero, um, which sort of replaces, we, we used to, you know, we, we have about uh, eight or nine different engineering teams and we used to have Zoom meetings and, and our, our engineers are spread out across uh, a bunch of different time zones. And so instead we now, you know, have a Slack bot that sort of, you know, pings you and asks, you know, what is it that you were working on and you're able to, to also do uh, deep linking into Notion or into GitHub or into the oh. tools that you're using. And so then from there, it's, it's easy to have a timeline for a team, for an individual or a team or a department around, you know, what people are saying that they're working on. And it's very, very small snippets, like very small nudges that are, are low impact as well as, you know, it's something that uh, the person writing it actively knows is going to go into other places. And so it sort of satisfies that need for you to, to have determinism around where your update is going to go. In some ways, it almost turns into like, you know, internal Twitter, right? You know, it's like, here's my 140 characters of what I'm doing right now or what's going on or, or the, the, the micro message that I want to send. Um, and I think that uh, more of that uh, will be will be really interesting. And, and But also, again, trying to toe the line where it's not taking so much time uh, for for an individual to, you know, write out, you know, if, if it was, you know, six pages instead of six sentences, you know, it'd be a drastically different user experience for somebody. So trying to find find that balance around visibility and safety um, and, and time. And that's just within the org the the engineering team at Invisible is the is that that particular bot, right? Or is it company wide? Yeah, although we've started I mean, so we started using it um, probably four or five months ago and already had other teams that were like, hey, that looks cool. Can we check that out? So, you know, it's a, that's that's whenever we know that a process that we're doing within engineering is working well is whenever, you know, other teams, you know, like it and, and adopt it organically. And uh, and the other key thing for this implicit knowledge problem seems to be the offsites. And I actually uh, uh, started a company where we were organizing uh, offsites for specifically for remote companies. Um, and I'm really interested in in getting into more about invisible um, uh, invisible's offsites. Uh, can we? Is that something we can talk about? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, we uh, we definitely are. Um continuing to to try to have you know more in-person meetups and have those fit into our planning cadences i'm actually uh i'm flying from from new york city to sri lanka on friday uh to go meet up with a, a group of our, our engineers that are in uh, in the asia asia pacific region um to to try to you know again i, I think that that helps to build trust to to be around people in person you know it's obviously a, a very expensive thing to do and and so we you know we do it you know we try to make sure that we get as much value out of it as we can but um I've heard it said before that, you know, with, with, when there's high trust, most processes work and mm -hmm. when there's no trust, no process works. And so um, I, I think overall, definitely acknowledging that human component of the relationship in addition to the process. Um, uh, and, and that kind of, um, again, when, when people have trust, when they feel psychological safety, I think that they, they're able to do their best work. And then the knowledge management component is easier because I'm willing to, to share, I'm willing to be open um, and, and then it's, then it's purely about spreading information to my peers. It's not about positioning. It's not about, 
you know, being protective around particular projects and things like that. And so I, I definitely think that having that foundation culturally is really important to then be able to enable the open and free flowing share, sh uh, sharing of ideas. Yes. Um, and is, uh, so is a lot of the team in India, are they coming from India or uh, are any of them in Sri Lanka? Uh, no, we have a, we have team members in uh, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. Um, I think the engineering team right now represents somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 different countries. So wow. um, this, this particular group, you know, um, we, uh, we chose Sri Lanka as a, a, a good uh, geographical center to be able to, to balance uh, time and cost and, and uh, as well as visa requirements. Yeah, I've never been there before. At some point, if you ever need any tips for where to do it in the Himalayas, I could give you some uh, some good insights into there. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's where we're going to go next. It sounds like so. I mean, I'm I'm happy to to hear your uh, cool. your input. I mean, uh, always always looking for for great ways to to connect with the team as well as to um, to take take on new cultural experiences. Cool. Uh, so we got about ten minutes left. Uh, knowledge management. Uh, what should I know? What do you think, just from your um, brief experience getting to know me, um, what do you think is going to be the hardest problem for me uh, for uh, organizing all of the knowledge at Invisible? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, we're we're transitioning um, from a, a small to medium-sized company, you know, a, a startup that found product market fit into something that's a little bit larger. And so I think that we have historically had very, permissive policies around, you know, you use tools that you want. And so um, I, I know, for instance, um, we've seen where, you know, one department is going to use a particular approach to project management, another department's going to use a different approach to project management, and that works well for them. Um, but then, you know, when you when you start wanting to have global visibility, which is necessary to be systematized as the company gets larger. Um, so I think that it's, it's really important to find that balance between um, individual productivity and um, team departmental or executive visibility into the things that are being worked upon, uh, as well as, um, you know, I, I think that, that that plays into knowledge management um, as, as an area as well. Like, you know, do you want to allow different teams to sort of structure the information that makes sense to them? Or do you want to make it, do you want to optimize for any department being able to find other information from any department. And so those, those two things, I think there's going to be a natural tension there, definitely solvable, but as the, um, you know, what you're optimizing for changes as headcount changes. Yes. Uh, and, and so I think, I think that that's also going to be, um, you know, an, an interesting solvable, but interesting challenge to, to think through the, the, the personal aspects of that. Um, that is excellent. Um, what I'm really, I've got this, system for my own personal knowledge management, which is a uh, spaced repetition software. We might've talked about this last time I talked, but, uh, but are you familiar with it or? I'm familiar, I'm familiar with spaced repetition. I, I'd love to hear more about your system. So I use, I, I've been using this program called MimoSign. Uh, before that I used Anki. I'm now switched back to Anki as I've started to now I'm, I'm going through invisible and I'm memorizing the people that work there, the, uh, the, where I can find things in notion, uh, the processes that uh, Invisible offers its customers. Um, and so basically, it's really, really elegant. As long as you do it every day, uh, you basically start to get 90% recall for whatever you want to learn. Um, and this is yeah. the first, first time where I actually get to apply it uh, into a into a professional thing because I've done it for a lot of, lot of random things and I've started and stopped. And, and, uh, 
And so that's, that's, but actually that's why I'm also excited about Invisible specifically is that I think part of this knowledge management will eventually lead to a very cool piece of software that will allow me to do spaced repetition. I actually saw uh, they've already done it. They've already implemented an LLM at Quizlet, at the company Quizlet, um, which is integrating the spaced repetition with an LLM tutor, um, which is very, very oh, cool. Oh, wow. Um, and I started to yeah. that. That, that gives me, so um, we were talking earlier about different internal tools uh, within Facebook. And one that I, I remember as a part of onboarding that I thought was really interesting was um, you would you get a lot of different chatbot messages. So for instance, like how on a scale of one to 10, how much do you feel like you're a part of your team? And that would be, you know, spaced out over your first day, your first week, your first month. Um, I can imagine a situation where you did something like spaced repetition as a part of the onboarding process that was dynamically being pulled from the knowledge management system. So you could, you could do some cool stuff around, you know, this is the most frequently visited notion page. And I'm, you know, this person hasn't visited this page yet and I'm going to push it to them you know, uh, to sort of say like, hey, people in your uh, team and your department and your organization, they're commonly reading this, you might want to, you might want to read it too. And um, uh, that then, you know, could, could open up discoverability. And then potentially, you know, after you, you've led with discovery, you could lead with like, how is retention working in order to measure the effectiveness of the tool? That's really cool. Yeah, because that's one of the issues that that were is the is that onboarding process is how do you get that right onboarding because there's going to be so many different roles that people are going to be onboarding for soon. Uh, it's like how do you get that right onboarding information to the right person, and that that got me really excited about things we can build. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that you know uh, if you assume there are going to be commonalities in in behavior patterns, then looking for like. Uh, I'm on this particular team, but somehow I'm not invited to this meeting or I, I'm on this particular team, but somehow I haven't read this document yet. Like those, those would, I, I think, be really interesting opportunities to sort of say, um, you know, and, and that's something that you could do in it from a, a clustering or unsupervised learning approach from a machine learning side. You, I think that you, you don't even have to, you wouldn't have to have rules defining the fact that somebody might want to read this. You would instead just sort of be able to say, um, it seems like an anomaly that you haven't read our uh, you know, our vacation policy document yet, or, you know, maybe you should check this out. Um, that's really cool. Um, very cool. So, okay. Let's talk more about the curse of knowledge and are, were there, were, were there any, any other types of things at invisible that kind of solve this problem of the, of the curse of knowledge and try to bring people together uh, remotely in order to, to solve that. So um, I, I think overall, and I, I've been onboarding a lot of people over the last couple of weeks. And so maybe it's just top of mind for that reason, but I always view every onboarding as an opportunity to test the system. Uh, and I'm open with candidates about that. So um, I say to them, you know, you're new. If something doesn't make sense, it's our fault. Um, and, I, and I want you to tell me so that we can make it better. Uh, and I, I think, again, that kind of just comes back to I want to make sure that people feel that they have permission and that they're supported. Because when you're new, you're still trying to prove yourself. And so you really I think I, I try to hammer that message that um, we want our onboarding to be good um, and where it's not please let us know. And, and, and so I, I, you know, I, my very first meeting that's in the first 15 minutes of, of onboarding is like, here's, here's the document, you know, here is your, uh, your first week, your first 30, 60, 90 days. 
Um, I, I will say, I think that in order to, to get value and get leverage out of that system, you need to be using templates or you need to have a documented process. You know, if, if we were doing ad hoc, just, you know, throw somebody onto the team every single time, it'd be hard for us to learn because we're working from a shared resource of a, a repeatable document, a repeatable set of training. Then we can say, oh, the, the version one of this training wasn't very good. And, and we have five people that have given us feedback about this particular piece of content. Now we're going to do a, a second version of it. And I think that because that's something that we value um, and, and because we're aware of the fact that our workforce having a great understanding of what it is that we do, how we do it, how our tools work, um, we've decided to make that investment. Um, but I, again, I think it's critical that you you give people the license to tell you places where you've fallen short and, and feedback to, is a gift, right? And so I think as long as we framed our candidates that um, we're, we're not not just trying to onboard you, we're also trying to make onboarding better and you can be a part of that. It also gives them an opportunity to feel like they've contributed early on. And, and then when they find something, it's it's uh, it's a positive, right? Like, hey, it looks like, you know, you guys, you know, had a, a description of a tool that you're not using anymore. Can I open a pull request about that? Like, sure. And that's, that's accomplished both that they're they're making contributions really early on and that we're we're kind of testing that our, our onboarding and our, our, our process works well. Very cool. Uh, well, this has been a great pleasure. Uh, if uh, somebody was interested in anything you've said about LLMs and knowledge management, how can they find you? Yeah, uh, my, my email is adam at invisible.co. Uh, and uh, I'd be happy to chat with anybody about LLMs or knowledge management or, or anything that we're doing overall uh, um, at Invisible. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.